0: Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody doing in the room today? Yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're online with us today, thank you so, so much for being with us as well. And if you're a guest with us today, thank you. Uh, Literally, you could do anything, be anywhere. Um, We have a city that has a lot of stuff to do. But the fact that you're here means so very much to us, so we want to say thank you and welcome to all of you who are here with us. Um, My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint, and I'm so glad to be back. Uh, I've been at a camp with my youngest daughter in Northern California. I've been sleeping in a bunk bed. Come on, 51. I look like this. Brother's not built for bunk beds anymore. Seven other dudes in there doing what dudes do at night. Can't sleep. Come on, y'all. So... I'm tired from my trip, and, uh, but I feel awesome, I feel glad to be here, and I'm so excited that you're here um, as well. We're in a series called Summer on the Mount, and for most of the summer, we're just going to kind of be going through the, the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon that was ever preached, and it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can begin to turn with me to Matthew 5. We're going to go there today. Next Sunday is Father's Day. Where's all my dads at in the room today? Are you there? Are you there? pretty pretty good. Um, Women are like, woo, And dudes are like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Fellas, here's the thing about LifePoint. We love dads. We believe in fathers. We we believe in your mission. We're not going to beat you up. I grew up going to church where they beat the dads up all the time on Father's Day. They praise the moms and beat the dads up. We're a non-beat-up dad zone, okay? So next week, it's going to be fun, and, and we're going to be staying in the series here. You're not going to get beat up, so it's going to be good. Right, you don't have to duck bombs that we're going to throw at you. You know, failures as a debt. No, we're not doing that to you, all right? We love you. We believe in you. You're awesome men. You're men of God. Amen. And uh, one other thing. In your chair is a little card, or every other chair or so. Um, uh, it's our IMA's 5K run. If you're new here, uh, we are part of an orphanage uh, in the Philippines called Ima's Home, and we are a big part of how it operates financially. Um, some buildings that are getting built right now, we just finished one of them. You guys are part of that. You gave a lot of money to that in December, and it's up, and it's—and they're using it now. And uh, this fall, on October the 14th, we're going to do a 5K run. Uh, we We did this one time years and years ago to build water wells in Africa, because I grew up in Kenya, have a heart for that place. And know how important water, fresh, clean water is. Um, but we're going to do our, another one this fall. Here's what I'm asking from you is that you sign up to run, uh, walk, um, sit on the sidelines and jeer people. I don't really care as long. You can eat tacos and make fun of people as they're getting fit, right? <laughs> I, I really don't care. Um, but but here, it's very important for us, especially as we're going out looking for sponsorships to sponsor this run, that we have a lot of people signed up. It will help us so much. Even if you don't show up, sign up. Um, and register for that. And you can do that today at Next Step Central. The more people that we have signed up, the easier it is for us to sell sponsorships, which is where we really make the funds to go. I'd love um, to have four or 500 Life Pointers there uh, running. It's being, it's being put on by a professional company. They're going to do it. They're going to take care of it for us. It's going to be a real run, timed if you want that. If you're like me, you don't want it timed. Come on, can I get a witness? So, so help us do that. It's going to be amazing. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We're talking through the Sermon on the Mount. It's a discourse by Jesus about what life in the kingdom looks like. And it all funnels towards the end to cause people to have to make a decision, to force people to make a decision. Are you going to be a follower of Jesus? Are you going to follow and do your own thing? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. If you read it all at the back end, it's a funnel, and it gets narrow and narrow. Narrow is the way. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way to life. It's just constantly narrowing things down, and that's kind of where we're at today. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, we're reading, this is the salt and light portion of this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. That's the first metaphor Jesus gives. The second one is right here. You are the light of the world. So you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, a city on a hill, cannot be hidden. So in ancient times, the cities that were on the hill were often whitewashed. If you go to Greece now, you'll find that this is the same true. There was kind of a glow about the place, and it's, it's kind of what he's describing here. Ne- neither do people uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they, they, they set it up. They put it up on a stand, and it gives light to everybody in the house. It, it, it amplifies the light by putting it up high, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father or glorify your Father in, in heaven. Now, one of the great scholars that is alive today, his name is N.T. Wright, he's in England, he comments on this passage, and here's what he says. Jesus is calling the Israel of his day to be Israel indeed, now that he is there. And what he says here can now be applied to all Christians, but its meaning was a challenge to Jesus's own contemporaries. God has called Israel to be the salt of the earth, but Israel, listen, but Israel was behaving like everybody else in their culture around them, with its power politics, its factional squabbles, its militant revolutions. So how could God keep the world from going bad, which was the main function of salt in the ancient world to preserve food? How can God keep the world from going bad if Israel, his chosen salt, had lost its distinctive taste? That's what's at stake here in this text, that the people who are called by God will be bright light and potent salt, salt and light. Now, you know that salt, is is, it flavors things. Aren't you grateful for salt, everybody? Come on, somebody, right? And, and by the way, there are all kinds of salts. I cook uh, at home. Uh, I love to cook. In fact, if I weren't doing this, I would be a cook. I would have a restaurant. That's what I would do. Um, someday you'll come over and I'll make it for you. And you'll be like, yeah, you probably could have done that. I'm just kidding. I'm bragging now. It's, it's bad. It's a bad form, right? But, but like there's the blue kind of salt, right? The blue can. By the way, if you have that and that's what you use to season everything, come on, God wants to take you higher. That salt should only be dumped in, in water to make the salt water for pasta. Come on, can I get an amen? Like there's kosher salt. It's a little bit bigger, a little chunkier. There's, there's, there's Maldon salt, which is flaky, and you finish your steak at the end. Come on, you, you sprinkle it off, and it's, it's just a beautiful thing. And, and so if you're still using the blue kind, um, stop, all right? For the love of God. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right, Salt flavors things. Like those of you who've ever had to use a salt substitute because your blood pressure is too high, come on, you know there is no substitute for salt. Don't believe the lie. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, what is that? Anyways, um, salt preserves things. It It can even help heal things. When I was a little kid growing up in Kenya in East Africa, every bush had a thorn. Come on, all of them, kind of like it is here. Tried to grab one yesterday, a weed. I pulled up here, tried to grab a weed. It had a thorn, and it ripped my skin open. And and also, all the fire ants crumbed out of it and bit me all over the place. (sighs) Fire ants um, are awesome. Oh, uh, yeah, thorns. Yeah, I, I forgot what I was talking about. ADD, everybody. My parents would take us down to Mombasa. Mombasa is one of the oldest inhabited cities in the world, and the coast is there, and we'd get in the salt water, and it would purify our skin. It was amazing. We'd be healed up. But, but the thing that Jesus is trying to get at is that salt changes things, right? It adds something distinctive and better. That, that saltiness is what makes it special, And what this means to us as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, is that we are meant to be distinctive, to stand out from the rest of the world, to be different or other than the rest of the world around us. So so to not be different than the, the, the rest of the world would make no sense to Jesus. This is his point, that if we lose our distinctiveness as followers of Jesus, we've lost our saltiness. Like, you don't really want a salty Christian in the way that we think about salty. That brother was salty. Like he was mean, he was rude or whatever, right? The, the, and, and salt that loses its, its saltiness or its distinctiveness in our context makes it fairly useless. And Jesus says that, that, that people just throw that out and they trample it underfoot. So then to know Jesus, to have been changed by the, the, the power of grace and the cross and the shed blood of Jesus and to just look like everybody else Seems like a kind of foolishness, the way Jesus would describe it. It's a waste. But when we, when you and I adopt the principles of God's kingdom, which Jesus is laying out, this, this entire sermon is principles for life in the kingdom of God. All of it is. When we, when we adopt the principles of Jesus, uh, 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 when we live by that, the point is, is that we will, by nat- nature, stand out. So, so Dale Bruner, who is a com- commentarian, he says this, he says, there is something about the way Christians are, or I would say should be, about the way they, they live together in community, they talk about each other, talk to each other, about they re, the way they relate to the not always friendly surrounding world, that's true, that is meant to catch the world's attention, that is to cause people to ask, what kind of people are these? That's what's supposed to happen. Now, now to be clear, I'm not saying that we should be at sort of sharp, odd angles, to the rest of the world. There, there are certainly religious people, religious churches, cultures, where the main goal is just to be in stark contrast to the rest of the world. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, they'll, those kinds of folks will have no real impact on the world. They'll be so heavenly minded that there'll be no earthly good, which is kind of a weird thing to say. The Pharisees were like this in Jesus' day. In, in Jesus' day, the lepers and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the, and the so called sinners were especially careful to steer clear of the rabbis, the religious elite, because they were considered close to God. The, the rabbis had, mistaken their, had had this mistaken notion that their spiritual, uh, spirituality required them to distance themselves from the people. The irony is that the only rabbi that the outcasts could touch, could approach, was uh, turned out to be God himself in human form, Jesus, right? Jesus was the most approachable person Um, they had ever seen. And I want you to really bear down on what I'm going to say next, because it bears weight on what we're talking about today. The, The religious leaders had a kind of differentness or distinctiveness, which is what we're talking about with salt here, that pushed people away. But Jesus had a kind of differentness or distinctiveness that drew people to him. And true spirituality will always look like that. It will not be off putting to people. It will cause them to be drawn to. And this is what Jesus is after here in this text. The goal for us, everybody, is to be distinctive and involved. Not distinctive or involved, but both. That's the mandate here in this part of Jesus' sermon. The goal is to be different and distinct and yet be engaged in bringing up there. Down here, the kingdom of God down here. Jesus says when you pray, you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in, as it is in heaven, up there down here. That's what it means to be salt and light. And, and listen, I, I just have to say this. At some point, At some point, everyone in this room, everybody hearing this, listening to this, watching this, we have to make the decision, am I going to be on team Jesus and and his values and his kingdom, or am I going to be on team culture, team world? And some of us are going to try to do both and straddle the fence between team Jesus and team culture. You can't do it. And if you try it, eventually you're just going to end up in team culture. There are a system of values, there are sets of values that Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount that are what it looks like to live in the kingdom. and so You can't have it both ways. And I think that the great danger that arises is when we don't experience inner transformation, that daily, that authentic transformation that comes from the gospel, that we will, we will inevitably settle for what I would call pseudo-transformation, right? We know that the Bible says that as Christians, we are to, we are to come out from among them, from, from the, the, the systems and the values of the world, and be separate, right? That our faith, that our, our spiritual commitments, that our, that our spiritual values will inevitably make us different from the people uh, that are not Christ followers. But, but here's the problem. If, if we are not marked by greater and greater amounts of love uh, and joy for God and for people... Um, which is, by the way, the ultimate mark of of a maturing Christian faith. Not how much you pray, not how much you read the Bible, not how often you show up to church. Those are all wonderful things, good things, but they are not the mark of that you're growing uh, more like Jesus. The mark that you're growing more like Jesus is that you love God more and that you love his people more. When you don't have that kind of transformation happening, you will inevitably look for substitute ways of distinguishing ourselves from those who are not Christians. And I grew up in a culture like that. And, And this pattern... To, to substitute the authentic transformation for, for other things, external markers, I would call them, it is, is almost inescapable for people who, who want religion and not relationship with Christ. So then if we do not become changed from the inside out, we will be tempted to find external methods to satisfy our need to feel that we're different from those outside the faith, right? So then if we cannot be truly transformed, We will settle for being informed and conformed to a religious subculture. That is not the way of Jesus. Sheldon Van Auken wrote that the strongest argument for Christianity is Christians, when they are drawing life from God. Now, he says that the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians, when they become exclusive, self-righteous, and complacent. Who wants to follow Jesus when his followers look like that? I've been on many mission trips around the world. And the thing that I find fascinating is that um, a lot of the Christians that I've met in, in Honduras, in Costa Rica, in Panama, in Haiti, and all over Africa, in the Philippines, is that they're, they're often the most joyful, loving, kind, compassionate, hospitable Christians that I've ever interacted with and they often live in places where they have very little in terms of material things and yet they have something on the inside because there's been authentic transformation that's taken place that that makes them distinctive and it makes them shine in a dark world, something that I fear many of us have lost. Recently I have met two different men, one in the fall and one last week who are from Kenya. Um, the place that I grew up, and they live here in the United States. And so uh, when I say, hey, why are you here? Why did you move here? They said, both of these men said that they had come here to the United States to be missionaries to the U.S. Interesting to me because for over 100 years, we've been sending missionaries to Africa and other parts of the world to teach them about what living for Jesus looks like. And now because as a country, we've lost our way, they're coming here to remind us what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I think it's amazing. This is what it looks like when salt and light are coming from people. Now, now here's the big idea of the passage today, and I want you to lean in on this one. When, When culture becomes more and more broken, more and more sick, followers of Jesus Jesus. Learn how to bring out the best within the culture. So rather than trying to be like the culture, what becomes attractive to the culture is when you and I live in a way that is different from the rest of the world. And something I think is very attractive and very compelling is that when you and I live with kingdom values in a way that is kind, gracious, loving, helpful, Christ-honoring, when the actual power of God begins to flow into us and out of us, Jesus says in John 7, out of your bellies will flow rivers of living waters. These, this spake he of the Holy Spirit, which had not yet been poured out, right? When that actually happens, when, when the joy and the peace uh, that comes from the Holy Spirit is flowing out of us into the world, this is where the good stuff happens. Do you, does that make sense, right? Right? So, so this is what it looks like to be bright light and potent salt. One other thing. When we read the text, we are often tempted to read it from an individual perspective. We live in a Western culture. Western cultures, by and large, are individualized. We don't really think about the greater good of people, of the group. We only think about how it affects us. And so we read that like that and go, oh, well, it's one more thing I got to do. It's not meant to be read as an individual. This is meant to be read collectively as a group, as a church. It's a plural It's a plural reality that together, together, all of us, we are the salt of the earth. Together, we are the light of the world. And that makes all the difference in the world. Together, as we function as the body of Christ here on earth using our gifts, our talents, our spiritual promptings, our spiritual gifts, together as we do that, we become potent salt and bright light. Does that make sense? Okay? So when... When you think about the teachings of Jesus like this one, the parables of Jesus that he concocts to teach spiritual kingdom truths, you see that he has this kind of upside down view uh, of reality of, of life. But by that I mean in Jesus' kingdom, um, what is, whatever is normal in culture in the world is kind of upside down in his reality. So for instance, in our world, hurry and busy, busyness, is seen as a kind of badge of honor. Like, like, like you must be important because you're busy all the time, right? In the kingdom, it's seen as the great enemy of intimacy with God and with his people. Like, in our world, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is seen as a worthy thing. In God's kingdom, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are willing to admit that their absolute need and dependence on God are blessed. He says, in, in, in our world, you seek vengeance when people hurt you, right? So like if somebody cuts you off in traffic, what do you do? You race around them and cut them off. Or is that just me? Come on, is everybody. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still working on this one. Everybody, come on. Give a brother some grace, right? Right? In God's world, you forgive. You pray for the people who hurt you. In our world, you hate or you cancel those who you disagree with. In God's world, in the parable of the, Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, he says, you stop on the side of the road and you help the very people who would hate you. Jesus says, in your world, religious people will step over hurting and broken people because their religious laws require them to, they think. But in my kingdom, you stop on the side of the road. You do what you can with what you have and you do what you, what you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone and that's what it looks like to be bright light and potent salt. Let's think about the second metaphor. There's salt, which is meant to be distinctive, right? And, and the second one is, he's, he says, we're the light of the world. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. If salt is about distinctiveness, then light is about amplification, right? A city on a hill cannot be hid. A candle, you put it up on a stand so that it can amplify the light. This is how we are both distinct and involved. This is how this happens, We are the light of the world, Jesus says. Now, that's a bit confusing because in John 8, 12, he says that he's the light of the world. But I think the Amplified gets this right when it says that we are the light of of Christ to the world. I think that's the correct way of looking at it. But look what Jesus says in John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world, and whoever, whoever what? Follows me. Not just attends church. Not just opens their U version app every day so they can keep their streak going on. Come on, that's me. Well, whoever follows me will what? Never walk in darkness, but will have will possess the light of life. Wow. So here's what Jesus is meaning here in in Matthew five. He means that as we draw life from him, as we follow Jesus, as we do what he said, right? As we live our life according to his values, his ways, his principles, that inevitably we will will have the light of life. And the light of life that is inside of us will, will be amplified, will be broadcast so that other people can see his light in us. Does that make sense? right? And, and he talks about how together as a faith community, nobody said yes, that that made sense, but I'm hoping that you're just so involved that you're like, probably not, right? He talks about how together as a faith community, we're like a city on a hill. Uh, we're set apart, we're set up. But what, what he also says, what he also means is that we have to actually interact. We have to amplify, can't just have the light, got to amplify the light out. We have to be involved at the workplace, We have to be involved in our schools. We have have some young women here in our our church who have Bible clubs and and, and they serve literally hundreds of students. I I was watching uh, this week as Oklahoma won the NCAA uh, softball championship for the third year in a row. And all three years, that team has stood up and declared their faith in Jesus, all of them. There's just like one guy over here. It's got John 3.16. This whole team is like yes to Jesus, yes to his ways, yes to his values. This is what it means to amplify We have to be involved in being part of the solution rather than just being part of the problem. Every now and then I'm gonna say that because it's good, all right? So when you say shh, that means it's good, all right? When I look at my wife, I'm like shh. I did it today. She's like, She knows, all right? (laughs) We have to have a different presence online. If you're gonna be bright, light, and potent salt, listen, we can't be the yellers and the haters and the arguers. Come on, you get on Twitter right now, it's a danger zone, everybody. Danger, Will Robin, like, it's dangerous. It's like angry and vitriol and people are like, yeah, but I'm over there fighting for Jesus. Jesus doesn't need you to fight for him, right? He's got his, come on, he's the God of the universe. He does, he's got his own back, everybody, right? And, 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 and so while you're arguing and fighting people about whatever, right, the Bible says that at the end of the age, that every knee is gonna bow and every tongue is gonna confess. So whether you argue with him or not, they're gonna bow to Jesus one way or another, they're gonna, they're, they're just. it's gonna happen. We can't get sucked into that and be bright light and potent salt as well. There is a light that is inside of us that we have, the light of life, it will come out as you amplify it. So, so this is so important because Jesus goes on, verse 16, and he says, in the same way, in the same way that a city on a hill cannot be hid, in the same way that you take a candle and put it on a stand so it can, it can broadcast, in the same way let your light shine like like before others that they may say it with me, they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in 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 heaven. Now that word before there is important because it means in front of. Let your light shine in front of others, right? That they may see your good deeds, your good works, your acts of kindness, your service, your hospitality, your acts of love. Even when you disagree with people and they disagree with you, when they see that, over time, Jesus says, the net result of them seeing that in you, that broadcast, that amplification, is that they'll come to glorify your Father in heaven. In a world of complainers, backbiters, arguers, haters, cancelers, we just keep shining the light of Jesus into the world. We do this by our distinctiveness, and we amplify our peace that comes from the Holy Spirit, our joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, our compassion that comes from the good news, the gospel of grace that compels us to go out into the world make a difference through what Jesus calls good deeds. This is why, by the way, why we go on mission trips, why we have monthly serve days and serve weeks throughout the year. Many of you served just yesterday at the San Antonio Food Bank. We're raising food right now out there. Uh, you guys have donated money. There are seven churches of us that, that partner in this. Every year, we raise at least a ha- a, 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 a 500,000 pounds of food. Come on, for our city, that's what it looks like to serve Jesus, to let the light shine. So, so what that means, quickly now. So what that means is that, the Christ, number one, the Christian life is a mission trip. Write it down. Nobody's writing. That's okay. I'll just imagine that you have it locked in so hard in your head. We have a team right now in Honduras. I think they're actually coming home today. And we would say, they're on mission, right? And that's true. But what's just as true is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're on a mission trip every day of your life. And and your mission trip is is about making the light shine, being distinctive in a world where everybody's the same. So so Jesus says in John 20, he shows up into a house where all of his disciples are gathered. They're hiding from the authorities. They're worried that they're going to be killed just like he was. He's resurrected. One of them, Thomas, doesn't believe, so he shows them the wounds in his hand, the wounds in his side. They rejoice. They can't believe it. And then this is what he says to them. Peace be with you. Why does he need to say that? Because he just walked through the wall, everybody, and showed up. If somebody just walks through the wall and shows up, you've got to be able to say to them, peace be with you. Are you the good witch or are you the bad witch, right? You know what I'm saying? So he's like, hey, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, I don't want you to miss this, because this is what he says to them, he's saying to you and me. I'm sending you. And, And if your life is a mission trip, if what Jesus said to the disciples then is true now, how do you and I respond to these words and his teaching to be bright light and potent salt? It's actually beautifully illustrated by some words that were said centuries before Jesus says the words we're studying. God is speaking through his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 8. And here's what he says. He says, Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Isaiah says, Here am I. Send me. I want you to know that the nature of God is he's a sender. He sent prophets to the nations. He sent Jesus, his only son, to come down and save the world through his death. And he's a, send, it's his nature. And, and he says, I'm, who can I send? Who's gonna go for us? And Isaiah says, pick me. That is the response to anybody who says, I'm over here in Camp Jesus. I'm gonna, the values, the teachings of Jesus. I'm going to say yes to that. I know it's not always going to be easy, but I'm raising my hand. Send me. Your life is a mission trip. You're willing to live differently in the culture of outrage and division and rancor and hostility that we're seeing in our world right now. That's what it looks like to be salt and light. Second response is that Christians live and look differently. They're salt and light because they're on a countercultural mission trip. Right? They're not trying to fight culture wars they're just countercultural in their everyday life. Again, the big idea is that as our culture becomes more broken and more sick, the more countercultural we become, the more attractive we will be. Rather than trying to be like the culture to attract people, what is attractive is when somebody is completely different in a society where there is anger and division and racism and polarization and meanness and rudeness and fear and disrespect and a loss of respect for authority and hopelessness. The Christ like values of peace and unity and kindness and courtesy and compassion and respect and truth shine all the more bright. There's this beautiful passage in Philippians chapter two. Philippians two, one of the great chapters in my estimation in all the Bible. In verse uh, 14, he says, Paul says, do, do everything without grumbling or Arguing. Some of us aren't going to make it out of this room today without breaking that. Why is this brother so long? See, you're breaking the law of God, right? Right. But but there's a so that coming. Do everything without grumbling or, or, or arguing, so that you may be. Here's the two words: blameless and pure. And he says, children of God without fault, not because you don't have faults, but because the righteousness of Christ has been applied to your life. He who knew no sin became sin for us. 1 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what's happening here. He says, without fault in a warped and crooked generation that you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Blameless and pure. If you settle for pseudo-transformation, you will not be blameless and pure. But if you say, I'm in Camp Jesus, Jesus, do your work in me. Let the words of Christ dwell in your hearts richly in all wisdom, Colossians 3.15. Right? Let the word of Christ dwell, dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Like, that's what I need. The, the character of Christ starts to come out of my life as the Holy Spirit puts his gifts in me and his fruit in me. The fruit of the Spirit gets manifested in my life. he says that we become children of God without fault in a crooked and warped generation. Now, here's the reality. We could say, hey, in 2023, this is a warped and crooked generation. But Paul writes this almost 2,000 years ago. And what that means is that in every culture throughout history, there has been warped and crooked generations. Right? We think, no, it's never been worse than this. Have you studied church history? In the Roman time, they fed Christians to lions. So we're not there yet, everybody. Come on, somebody. Aren't you, aren't you grateful for that? Can I get an amen for that at least? Come on. Right? Right. And, and, and if you read the, the, what Paul writes to the Corinthian church, do you know what was happening in Corinth? It was wild, man. Galatia, crazy stuff was going down. And yet, he says, Jesus says, come to show them a better way to the extent that you will shine among them, among that, that culture, like shining stars in the night sky. Now, where people will look and say there's something different about her, there's something different about him. So, so Romans 12 too, I've read this a million different times from a million translations, but I want to read it from the message. This is a paraphrase, but just look at this. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. I'm shooing myself. I'm shooing the word of God. Instead, fix your attention on God. Now, what he's saying here is don't get caught up with all the angry people, right? All the crazy things that are going on. There's a whole world of people who are just being discipled by their their cable news choices. They're being spiritually formed by social media. Shoo, come on. And, and you, can't, you can't get dragged into it. Don't do it. Don't get dragged into it. Years ago, I saw a big rattlesnake driving across the road. I whipped a car over, and my, and my dad's like, what are you doing? I said, I got to go out there and try to cap, uh, cap that thing. I don't know why I was doing this. And I all I can find is a giant... You know the kind of paddle that you play on the beach with and you bang? That's all I've got. And I chase the rattlesnakes like five and a half feet long. I chase it out into the woods and dad just goes, don't do it, son. It's not worth it. True. Come on. What I'm saying to you is don't do it, son. Don't get sucked into all of this. Don't become so well adjusted. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Instead, fix your attention on God. Then you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Last thing. Last response is hold firm. He says you'll shine like stars among them as you hold firmly to the word of life. Hold firmly. Important that you hold firmly because we're not going to be accepted by everyone in our culture because what we believe is increasingly out of step with the culture and it's only going to become increasingly more so, like I want to be winsome, I want you to be winsome, I want you to be gracious in an age of rage, but I also want you to know that there are times when simply people are going to come after you because you believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, in our place, and you believe what Jesus said when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. People are going to hate you because you say there's only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus. People are gonna hate you for that. When you stand up for your convictions, you will stick out. In a world where everybody is bowing down, you and I just stand up. Distinctive, salt, amplifying the love, the grace, the mercy, the, the forgiveness that Jesus offers, bright light. You stand up. So whatever happens, Philippians 127, Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever people say, whatever people do, whatever people don't do, as you stand up, as you are bright light, as you are a potent salt, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're not called to save anybody. Because we can't, only Jesus can. But we are called to serve others. Good deeds, Jesus says. And we are called to point people to the actual true light of the world, Jesus. And what do you do to get the light of the world in your life? Jesus says, whoever follows me. Say that with me. Whoever follows me, Jesus. It's a life changing verse, really. There's hope and there's life. John is writing and he says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he says, in him was life. In him was life. And, and he was the light of all mankind. And then he says, is it here? Do we have it? He says, and at the light of all mankind, the light shines in the darkness. I want you to see this. And the darkness has... Not overcome it. And there are some of us who push back and say, well, man, you haven't really paid attention to there's a real darkness in the world. Listen, what Jesus, what what God is promising us here is not just naive optimism. It's an acknowledgement that yes, there is darkness and the darkness can be deep, but that there is a light that shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot, will not overcome it. It will not happen. You are not destined to walk in darkness. The darkness will not win. That's the claim of Jesus. Christ, the light, meets us in our darkness. He also delivers us out of our darkness. But he also gives us hope in the darkness that the darkness will not have the final word. Why? Because he left behind people the church of the living God. He sent down the Holy Spirit to baptize us with power and anointing and fresh life. And and so as we go together, not by ourselves, but as we go together, we become bright light and potent salt. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A light that is amplifying the light of Christ that is inside of us to all the world. That's the task That's what we're called to. That's who we are as a church. We will stand on God's word. We will stand up for God's truth. We will be firmly in the camp of of Jesus and his values and his way and kingdom values. And we will reach, we will reach for people. We will keep serving. We will keep loving. We will be keep compassionate. We will be unified. We will go out and make a difference in the world because that's what Jesus asks us to do right here. Amen, somebody? So Lord, thank you. Thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you for the sermon that you preached, God. This, just, just this mind-blowing sermon. God, as we journey through this throughout the summer, I pray that not only would the scriptures get, um, not, not only would we go through the scriptures, but that the scriptures would go through us. That The scriptures would come alive in our hearts and in our change the way we think, change the way we imagine, change the things that we value. Lord, I, I know that the, that the Sermon on the Mount becomes a funnel at the back end, and we'll get there over the next few weeks. It becomes this funnel down. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. All of these things that you do, the people who build their lives on the sand, the people who build their lives on the rock, the the, the people who will do what you say, the people who won't do what you say, may this be the place where in this house with these people here online, here in the room, we make the decision I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to value what he values. I'm going to do what he said. I pray this over us in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 Come on, let's give God a praise, would you?